0: Welcome to Through the Bible with Pastor Michael, a podcast from First Baptist Church in Mustang, Oklahoma. Here's Pastor Michael. All right, today is January, reading number 19, and we are looking today at Mark 7, 8, and 9, and the second half of Psalm 18. So much here in these three chapters in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Five observations today. Number one. Jesus condemns the worship of the Pharisees as not being from the heart. Uh, In chapter 7, quoting from Isaiah, Jesus said of them, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus condemns their worship. Number two, Jesus asked the disciples who they believe Jesus is. That's in John, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 8, verse 29. But he asked them, but who do you say that I am? This really is the question everybody's got to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Um, This is the heart of the gospel. And Jesus asked the disciples to answer that question. Third, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection, but Peter rebukes him. In Mark 8 verse 31 Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again and then Peter says may it never be Peter says get behind me I'm sorry Peter says they took him aside and rebuked him and then Jesus said get behind me Satan for you are setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man., uh, just a, a note here, always a bad idea to rebuke the Son of God. that never that never goes well. Fourth observation, Peter, James, and John get to see the transfiguration of Jesus as Moses and Elijah appear. The Mount of Transfiguration in chapter nine is one of the most important things that happen. Uh, happens in Jesus' life and his ministry. A lot of significance takes place there. Fifthly, Jesus tells the disciples, those who are not against him are for him. Chapter 9, verse 40. We're so familiar with uh, the flip side of this that we often uh, miss an important point the way that Jesus says it here in Mark 9. So, in Mark 9, verse 40, It says, for the one who is not against us is for us. Now in Matthew 12, 30, Jesus affirms the the other side of that coin. Whoever is not with me is against me. The overarching principle here, when you take Matthew 12 and Mark 9, put them together, two sides of the same coin, the overarching principle is this, that there is no neutrality with Jesus. There's no neutrality with him. You have his side, and you have those who are against him. Those who try to remain neutral in so doing are against him. And so what we have to be careful of is in in Matthew 12... Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you don't affirm who I am, if you don't affirm the gospel, if you don't affirm that I am the eternal Son of God, if you don't affirm that I am the way, the truth, and the life, if you don't affirm that no one gets to the Father except through me, if you're not with me in what I say and what I preach and who I am, then you are against me. There's no neutrality. In Mark 9, Jesus is saying if you're not against us, then you're for us. So, People in ministry who believe who Jesus is, who believe the gospel, who believe the Bible, uh, who believe in the biblical Jesus, they may have other things about them that aren't just like you. They may have styles and, and preferences or personalities that aren't your exact preference. But if, if they're with Christ, then they're one of us. All right? So two sides of the same coin. If you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not against me, you're for me. And again, when you take those two things together, here's the one thing you come away with. There is no neutrality with Jesus. Everything that matters in life has to deal with what you believe about Jesus. Five applications. Number one, traditions can be helpful aids, but they make bad gods. Tradition by itself isn't the problem. Uh, There are traditions that are helpful. There are traditions in families or in churches that that help remind us of certain things. The tradition by itself is is not a bad thing. Um, They can be helpful aids, but they make bad gods. When tradition becomes your god, you're in a very dangerous, dangerous place. Back to... Mark 7, verse 8, he says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. That's the key. You have left the commandment of God. When we push God away, then the tradition itself becomes the idol. So in your church, in your life, in your family, traditions can be very helpful things. But those traditions, at least as they relate to spiritual matters, ought to push you toward Christ, ought to push you closer to loving Christ, knowing him more, setting your mind on him. And when you are willing to push Christ aside just to uphold your man-made tradition that means more to you than the lesson it represents, then you have left God and are holding to your tradition. That's what Jesus is calling out. A second application from chapter seven, verse 28, persistent faith is true faith. In chapter seven, verse 24 to 30, the Syrophoenician woman here, Jesus is drawing her faith out of her. When you first read that that encounter, it, it, it sounds strange, almost sounds kind of harsh until you understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus has just said that the the Pharisees, these religious leaders, that, that they've missed it. Their hearts aren't right. They're worshiping their tradition instead of God. And now, so that's the example of what not to do. Now, Jesus is going to give us an example of what to do. And of all things, it's a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile. And... She believes, and he's drawing her faith out of her and and letting her show persistent faith. And her her faith, her example is being used for the apostles as an example of what is right. So it's not the it's not the religious leaders that are held up as the example in chapter 7. They're the bad example. It's the Syrophoenician woman who was the good example because she was persistent. Her faith was genuine. She was not going to um, uh, be, be pushed aside. And the Lord so speaks to her that it allows her to go on record with her persistent, genuine faith. And because of that, the Lord said to her in verse 29, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Uh, A third application, gaining all the world at the expense of your soul profits you absolutely nothing. Gaining the whole world at the expense of your soul profits you absolutely nothing. That's the words of Jesus here in verse 35 of chapter 8. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We've got to make sure that that we are right with Jesus. All the things of the world that you can have, the best education you can have, uh, the best career you can have, the best friends you can have, all of those things um, are completely insufficient to be able to make up for the reality if your soul is lost. And so as you go through this life, remember anything you gain at the expense of your soul in the end profits you nothing. Fourthly, the most important factor is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith. I'm thinking here in in, in Mark 9 where Jesus says uh, in verse 24, uh, or verse 23, Jesus says to him, all things are possible for the one who believes. And the father in verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And, and this is an important lesson to learn. The father believed, but, but his faith was was not perfect. His faith was was flawed. But the truth is, that's true for all of us. None of us have perfect faith. None of us have faith as much as it should be. None of us see God as glorious as he truly is. None of us see God as powerful and holy as he truly is. None of us have of faith so strong and unwavering that we never, ever question or doubt as we should. We should be there, but we're not. Why? Because our faith is imperfect, because we are flawed. Though redeemed, we're not, uh, our faith is not perfect. Uh, our redeemed nature still resides within the encasement of unredeemed flesh. And, and the important thing to, to take away here is that it's the object of our faith that saves us. Um, and so that you may be in a situation where you feel like your your faith is genuine, but it's weak. your faith is sincere, but it's it's struggling and And I would encourage you, if that's the case, to read of the Lord and learn of the Lord and and seek the Lord and and ask him to grow your faith and increase your faith absolutely. but in the end, uh, it's the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the power comes from. The power is not in your faith itself. Your power comes from the object of your faith, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this father says, "I believe, help my unbelief. I trust you, but help the part of me that's that's struggling. I believe in you, but help the part of me that's that's struggling." And and that is that's something that. I think we can all relate to um, that that reality for us that that we do trust, we do believe, but but our faith is imperfect. And in those moments, we keep holding on to Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus keeps holding on to us. Um, one thing I want to say about this this situation here too, um, well let me let me go on to the last application and and I'll make make a couple of points here. Uh, The the last application for today is this, that struggles, storms, and temptations often await after a mountaintop experience. In chapter 9, you've had the transfiguration in verses 2 to 13. They come down from the mountain in verse 14. It says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So, Jesus and and the disciples have been on the mountaintop of the transfiguration. It's been this amazing high point. They come down from that. And what's the very first thing that awaits them? An argument. What's the very first thing they encounter? This this debate. Um, Which is how it works in life so many times. That struggles and storms and temptation often... Await us right after a mountaintop experience, right after church camp, right after the mission trip, right after a season of revival, whatever it may be, right after those spiritual mountaintop experiences. So often, the thing that's waiting for us is another storm or a temptation, some kind of trial or struggle. So we've got to be alert, be prepared for that. When you come through a season of strong spiritual growth, be ready. Uh, for temptations and struggles and storms to await you, to to have to navigate through those with trust and with faith. When I read this, it reminds me of a time in ministry years ago where it had been a a particularly extraordinarily busy and and stressful and intense time of ministry. And I I took a couple weeks of vacation with my family And had a great time on vacation. We got back from that vacation late on a Saturday night. And so I went to church that next Sunday morning to preach. Um, I'd been away for two weeks. And uh, an older gentleman in our church, a sweet man who I loved dearly. uh, He was a great, great man. He's gone on to be with the Lord today. Um, But he was right there waiting for me at the door. And when I walked in, he said, Pastor... Uh, I have a problem, I need to talk to you about it right now. And I kind of smiled and laughed, and I said, not right now. I said, my first conversation after two weeks of vacation is not going to be dealing with a complaint. You know, uh, This will not be my first conversation. And I kind of smiled, and he smiled, and we had a good laugh. Uh, But that's just how life is, isn't it? You you get away from a great vacation, you come back, and the first thing that awaits you is a problem. Uh, You have a great time at, at church camp, you have a great experience on a mission trip, whatever it may be, or even even in this case, you're reading through the Bible maybe for the first time, and you're learning a lot and making a lot of progress in your knowledge of the Word, uh, just just expect seasons of struggle and, and of temptation uh, that await you after seasons of spiritual growth. Um, but, but as this happens, this debate's raging because the, the apostles were not able to cast the demon out of this man's son. And and the man's frustrated, he's disappointed. He 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 wanted to find Jesus, Jesus wasn't there, so he found the apostles instead. They said, "We can take care of this for you." And then they're not able to cast the the demon out. But I do want to make this observation that while the father is no doubt disappointed with the apostles, They had said they could help. They let the Father uh, down. But even though the apostles let him down, the Father doesn't let the mistake of someone else prevent him from still pursuing Jesus. Jesus is going to correct the apostles. They're going to say, how come we couldn't do this? And He's going to say, well, this kind of ministry, this kind of power only comes through prayer the apostles were relying on their experience instead of on the power of prayer they were relying on themselves rather than being dependent upon the power of the lord and in so doing they they disappointed and frustrated the father and the son who was who was sick or was demon possessed but even though that happens the father doesn't stop pursuing jesus Now, I just want to say that a lot of people have been hurt by a Christian, a lot of people have been disappointed by a church, and that pain can be real, and I don't want to make light of that in any way. But at the same time, don't let the failure of a person become an excuse to stop loving and pursuing Jesus. And what a lot of people do is they say, you know what? Um, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Um, I'm a Christian, I just don't love other believers. I just want to say, don't fall for the lie from Satan that you can love Jesus, but just not care for the church. There's not a man anywhere who would be okay with you saying, you really like him, you just despise his bride. And so, if you have been hurt by a church, if you've been hurt by a Christian, if you've been hurt by um, those who claim the name of Christ, I don't want to make light of that at all. That can be a very real pain, for sure. Yet, don't let the sin of somebody else lead you to stop pursuing Christ. And by all means, don't fall for the trick of Satan to say, it's okay to love Jesus, just not love his church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus gave his life for the church. Jesus laid down his life for his bride. And if Jesus is going to lay down his life for his bride, it does not honor him to say, I love you, Jesus. I just have no love for your bride. So we wanna be careful to not hurt or injure others, of course, but even if we have been disappointed or let down by somebody else, don't let their sin, don't let their weakness stop you from the greatest joy you'll ever know, namely pursuing a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you will love his bride. Finally, a summary from the second half of Psalm 18, I phrase it this way, our God lives and is the rock and refuge for his people. Our God lives and he is the rock and refuge for his people. And we praise God that that's true. Enjoy the reading today. So much there. So many great and valuable lessons. Read carefully, read slowly, read thoughtfully, read prayerfully, and read with faith today.